0: listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc 123 me.com. Been a real privilege to be here with you. And we've been looking really carefully at this mysterious thing uh, that we call the conversion of a person, right? How how does God change people? What's going on? What are these remarkable things that are happening from God's side and in the heart of a person when they actually come into relationship with Jesus Christ? Several years ago, I was pastor, I was a pastor of a church, one of the pastors of a church. In uh, Orlando, Florida, and I used to actually used to be involved with uh, professional golfers. There was a there were several golfers who were in the church, and <clears throat> they were on the leader, sort of the feeder teams uh, or feeder uh, tours that would take place in Florida during the year. And then sometimes they would come on and off of the PGA tour, and uh, that's the way they end up on the PGA tour. Uh, actually, so I had the privilege of leading Bible studies for them, and then eventually even led some of the some of the other Bible studies on the, at least the Nike tour. So I, I got a lot of good experience with these professional golfers, though I wasn't a very good golfer myself. One day, uh, one of the golfers, a dear friend that I'd been mentoring pretty closely, uh, named Jeff. Jeff uh, said his brother-in-law was coming into town, and he had a deep burden for his brother-in-law because. He was really in a in a family of people who had a lot of shady dealing going on. A lot of uh, he was just an unconverted guy. They had a heart for him, his wife's brother, and they had been praying for him and wondered if the chance opened up, could I actually spend some time talking with him about Jesus Christ? Of course, I was certainly willing to do that. And Dan came to town. Now Dan was there to buy a topless bar, so. Uh, they had topless bars around the country. And he was a really uh, strikingly handsome young man. He uh, had a great personality. And he wanted to talk with me about Jesus Christ. So we actually went into my car. I don't, I don't remember where we went, but we ended up in the car talking for a long time about what it meant to know Jesus Christ and just presenting the gospel to him and trying to give him hope in his life. And you know, Dan believed in Jesus Christ. Now he didn't just have some kind of experience there for the moment, but he went on to be a very fine believer in Jesus Christ. He went back to Seattle, went first of all to New Orleans. He broke his relationship with the rest of the family uh, in terms of buying topless bars. He went back to Seattle. First thing he did was break up with his girlfriend. I mean, have his girlfriend move out, rather, uh, of the apartment. I introduced him in Seattle to a friend of mine who became, he said, his closest friend. He was a pastor of a church there in in the Seattle area that I knew. And uh, he just was as striking a Christian as he had been a sinner. It's amazing, isn't it? Now, how is it that somebody with all... Uh, I mean, all the man could want, I mean, you know, the sexual delights of a man. He could have anything he wanted, right? He had lots of money to drive cool cars and the things that people want. He had all of those things, and yet Jesus Christ was so attractive to him. And he remained so attractive to him and to this day is attractive to him. What is it going on about? How do you explain this kind of uh, phenomenon uh, in our world today, right? Well, I, I want to dig into this a bit more and try to, to get behind this idea. What's happening? What's going on? Because I think, it, for one reason, it gives us a great security as believers, those of us who know Jesus Christ. It also helps us a lot to understand why Your daddy doesn't come to Christ, and your son rejects the Lord. Why your friend at work won't listen to you and won't have anything to do with you. Uh, So let's get into that by looking at one of the great passages on the subject out of John chapter 6. So let's all turn to John chapter 6, please. Everybody turn there with me. John chapter 6. Now, the whole chapter is about bread. (laughs) It starts with the feeding of the 5,000. You perhaps know this already. It's all about bread. John collected, John is uh, giving us in the book of John seven great miracles or signs. And this is one of those great signs of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000. So that's where it starts. He also gives us seven great discourses. And It's a very organized book, by the way. So he gives us seven great discourses. And from this uh, amazing experience, which was the most which was amazing, and it's uh, in the sense that it's in—it's the most verifiable of the miracles that was ever performed, because you could—it didn't just happen to one person or a small handful of people. There were five thousand people who could say, "I ate bread that came from these five loaves and two fish." I mean, that was very is verifiable if you know what I'm saying on a on a big scale. So uh, it was a—it was a very powerful thing, and and. Uh, the Lord, the the writer John is 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 showing us from this particular experience, which is phenomenal in itself, uh, is bringing us from that to the discourse that Jesus has about bread, and of course the emphasis that He is the bread of life. And we're going to look in the middle of that at several verses in just a moment. In between that experience, when Jesus uh, fed five thousand people, and the discourse on the bread of life. Uh, Jesus moves from the west side of the Sea of Galilee across diagonally across to the top side of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, to Capernaum. And that's when we have the walking on the water experience. It's always associated with the feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospels. But John actually makes little effort to say much about that. He doesn't develop that very much because John's real purpose here is to talk about the bread. That's what's on his mind. So, when he gets to the north side of the Sea of Galilee in verse uh, 25, they ask him a question, Rabbi, how did you get here? And Jesus, in true Jesus form, didn't really answer them, (laughs) but gave them some other answer. And here's what he said in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, They were supposed to reveal who I am. But because you ate of the loaves and you were filled, do not work or labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Now I would like to go... Through every verse of this great discourse, it's really a remarkable passage of Scripture on our subject, actually. But I'm going to focus beginning in verse 35. So drop down in this uh, Bread of Life discourse to verse 35, and I will begin there. He had just said, I am going to back up a little. He just said in verse 33, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. They didn't know what they were saying, did they? But Jesus said this, look at it in verse 35 and 36. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me <clears throat> will never thirst, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Let's just think about these couple of verses for a moment, because it's a it's a it's something that happens in our experience, uh, in our love for people, and our desire to see them converted to Jesus Christ. Here's Jesus saying something about himself that should be absolutely attractive to them. Imagine. Having a life in which you have no thirst or no hunger doesn't mean physically, of course. He means those deep longings of the heart are satisfied in Jesus Christ. I'll I'll say that for you as believers, I, I believe that you believe this is true for you. Now, you may be tempted, infatuated with something else, at different times, but you will find that you're always coming back to Jesus as that which really satisfies, the one he really satisfies. Would that be, I just, is that your testimony? It's my testimony. It certainly is. I find my deepest longing is life. I was just thinking the other day, I've been 54 years in the ministry. And way before that, I became a Christian and I began reading my Bible and I'm still reading my Bible because I find it so exciting to read. <laughs> Now how do you explain that hunger, you know, I'm just finding the words of God to meet my needs and to provide me such joy, such satisfaction. And that's part of what he's talking about right here. When we know Jesus, when we know him, we have this, uh, we have this bread that always feeds and we have this, we have this uh, our thirst met in Jesus Christ. Now, I will tell you that anyone who believes in Christ can have this benefit. Look at it again. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me. Really, the word comes there and believes are basically the same idea. He's just repeating it. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will will never thirst. And the person who comes to Christ and believes in Jesus Christ, I mean, some of you are not Christians right here. Just think about this. The person who believes in Christ, meaning it means that you, uh, you, fully, you fully imbibe in the, the vision of Christ, the words of Christ, you give allegiance to Christ, and you trust Christ for the thing that he could do for you that nobody else can do for you, and that is die on the cross, pay for your sins, and give you an eternal life, give you eternal life. So if you believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, I believe in him. Don't just talk about him. I don't just study him. I believe in Jesus. I I believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will find your thirst you're you know satisfied in Jesus Christ. He uh, just like my friend Dan, who was so radically changed. It just he didn't need all that other stuff that everybody's clamoring for. He had Christ. It was more than satisfying to him, as he said repeatedly to me. More than satisfying. I remember meeting a guy. We we had the privilege of working in one of the penitentiaries in in uh, Colorado one time, and a guy was in there for a major crime i think it's murder he'd been in there going to be in there for life and he'd come to christ and he just said you know i just i'm so happy with jesus here i just i'm much happier here than i would have been outside without jesus christ that's the, that's the point that's what happens to people when they're christians that's for the believer and if you don't know any other theology about conversion and and salvation, you know nothing else, you believe in Jesus Christ, uh, you can have this wonderful bit of it. All right, now Jesus said that. Remember the people had already, after the feeding of the 5,000, had already tried to make Jesus Christ king. <laughs> if you remember the story, Jesus, of course, didn't want to be that kind of king, and he slipped out from among them and then ended up in Capernaum after walking on water. Those very people and the people who had heard about that were clamoring around Jesus Christ. So they'd already seen something amazing from Jesus Christ. And he makes that statement about hunger and thirst. And then he says this, but I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. Um, sometimes when I'm talking to people about Jesus Christ, I might think, man, if, if, uh, if Jesus was here talking to this person, uh, this would be wrapped up. But that, that's not true, is it? because Jesus said you've seen me so he's talking to people maybe 24 inches away from him you know they're talking to the one they know just just performed one of the greatest miracles ever seen by anybody and yet you've seen me yet you do, you do not believe Let me just ask you again, how do you explain that? How do you explain people, since you're so satisfied with Jesus, how do you explain this idea that some people can appear to be a, a breath away from being a Christian? I mean, Paul said, Paul said Christ is not up in heaven that you have to go up there and get him. And, you know, he's, in, he's there, this, he is close to you, close as the word in your mouth, that is the word of faith, right? Why don't people believe? We see this great truth that people will not believe in the face of Christ, in the, in the context of Christ and the context of the things of God, all the way through the scripture actually, Right? We call this sometimes the inability of man. Man by himself cannot appreciate the value there is in Jesus. He just, I'd say he just cannot do that. But they're culpable for not doing it. Then Jesus says, in essence, he says in verse 37 let me tell you who will believe. All right. And here's the way he says it. All that the father gives me will come to me. So look, you're here. You're, you're, I'm sharing the, this great news you don't believe, no matter what you see, you don't believe. If somebody was raised from the dead, he said one time, you wouldn't believe. He came and told you that. You wouldn't believe. But let me tell you who will believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. That is good news to me. Because if we're, we're in a jam, if we're in the position of these, of these Jewish people in our inability to break through and see and find satisfaction in Jesus Christ, why wouldn't I want to know that he had done something like this, right? <laughs> I mean, there's hope there. There's hope in these words, right? All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about the reason he'll say that. But think about these words very carefully. Don't just gloss over them because this is Jesus talking, and he means every word he says. When he says all that the Father gives me, we have to understand, first of all, that in eternity past, the Father has some. He means has some in his heart right and those in his heart specially chosen for some not not because they will believe because it says they will come to me they will come. It's yet to happen right but all those in the father's heart he has in some way in eternity past given them to the son and the son will not cast them out will not push them away instead he says he's going to come to earth to perform what is necessary for their eternal salvation right so let's just get it let's really get it clear this is just locked tight the way he's saying this so that we can't mistake be mistaken about it i don't think so the father has some he gives them to to the son And all of those who've been given to the son in their lifespan, when they are born and live their life sometime along the way, they will come to Christ. That will add amazing impetus to your evangelism. If you thought it was all left up to man, Nobody would be satisfied with Jesus. Nobody would seek to be satisfied with Jesus, right? They would find satisfaction in what they've got. Try to at least. But because of this idea, we can say, wow, there's hope. When I go out and I I speak the gospel, there is hope. Remember what I told you the other night, that statement of the Apostle Paul. He said, you know, to the Greeks... The gospel is, is a, a f- a foolishness to the Jews. It's a stumbling block. But to the cult, it's the power of God unto salvation. So now, there's no difference between all that the father has in his heart and gives to the son and the number of people that come to Jesus. It's, no, it's a one to one correspondence. All. when he, He's not saying all people in all the world, because we know just by opening our eyes that all people in all the world don't come to Jesus, right? But all that the Father's given me, that subset of humanity, all that the Father's given me, one to one correspondence, will come to me. Don't tell me salvation is not of grace. And the one who comes to me, I I will not cast out. This is so good. I mean, to think about this. If you have believed in Jesus, you will not be cast out from him. You won't be lost again. (laughs) Right? I actually I I feel a certain measure of pity for some churches that teach doctrines that say you can lose your relationship with Christ what a painful way to live life but this is not what Jesus teaches Jesus teaches you will not be cast out why can he say that What what is his reasoning for that? Well, he starts the next line in verse 38 with four. In other words, that's a way to indicate to us he's going to tell us the reason why this is true, okay? For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it, that is the all, up on the last day. So again, one-to-one correspondence. The all that were in the Father's heart are given to the Son, every one of them. All that were given to the Son will come to Jesus. All that come to Jesus will not be cast out. And the reason they will not be cast out is because Jesus came on mission to do what was necessary for them never to be cast out to obtain their eternal salvation so that he will not lose one of them, but every one of them will be raised up on the last day. One-to-one correspondence. Oh, this is good news. It's really good news, isn't it? Isn't that good news? This is the security that we have in Christ. This is one of the greatest passages on the security that you have in Christ anywhere in the Bible. Now we know, even though he doesn't spell it out here, we know what Jesus came to do to make this a reality. I have come down from heaven to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what is it that he came down to do? Well, you know what it is, don't you? He came to live a perfect life and to die as the perfect Lamb of God on the cross and then to be raised up victorious over sin and death on behalf of all who are his. All right. Jesus said, "I," or it was said of Jesus, I believe it's in the book of Matthew, he shall be called Jesus, which means Jehovah, sa- Jehovah saves. He shall be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. He came down on mission. He came down to do something for the people that he had been given and for the father who had commissioned him to carry out his will on behalf of these people. And he'd compli- he accomplished, he received the travail of his soul, right? He, he did what was necessary and that secured every last one of those In the Old or the New Testament, whether they look forward to Christ or look back on Christ, he secured the eternal salvation of every one of his. Without exception. And every one of those will be raised up in the last day. For, to explain it again and from another side, he says in verse 40, for this is the will of my father. So we we found out in verse 39, the will of him who sent him was to do what was necessary to secure their salvation forever. And then he's going to add more to this will of the father. So this is the will of the Father. This is the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. That's where the emphasis ought to be in the text. This is the will of God. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son, remember how we talked about that these last a couple of times beholds the son and believes in him, will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. That's such a pastoral note at the end of this section to say, I myself will do this. I myself will raise him up. The one who came down here to do what was necessary for their eternal salvation. The one who paid the price of my own life dying on the cross, I myself will raise them up in the last day. So your concept of grace may be limited to what you receive when you believe. Satisfaction in Jesus, in this case. But God's concept of grace, which should be our concept of grace, starts way back before that. In eternity past, when the Father intentionally gave to the Son, those who will come, that he determines will come to the Son. They will come. They will come. And they will not be cast out because, Son, you're going down to do what is necessary for their eternal salvation. And yes, you must believe. Nobody will ever be a Christian unless they believe in Jesus Christ. Nobody. The promise is good. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. (laughs) And that may be all you know about it. But we're stepping behind the scenes here and seeing what's going on from the Father's viewpoint. Jesus has a first row seat, right, about everything that happens here. He knows how to tell us about these things. And so he's letting us in on on something very powerful, and we're seeing that grace is just a lot bigger than we ever thought it was. It's not just what you get when you believe. It's the grace to believe. Right? The grace to believe. Am I making noise here? Did I drop it? Is this better? I'm, I'm sorry. I hope it wasn't too distracting. Are you still with me? Let me say that again. It's not that what the grace is not just what you receive. The grace is the ability to believe. Right? Let's go just a bit further. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about him. (laughs) Something so full of grace, something so helpful, something so securing, something so amazing, but they grumbled about him. You see the connection with the numbers in the Old Testament, the bread experiences, the grumbling. John is tying these things together, right? Right from the book of Grumbling, the book of Numbers. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? And Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Again, more insight from Jesus, which is absolutely credible. This leap from accepting Jesus Christ as a remarkable human to believing that he is divine and sent from heaven is a supernatural one. It is something that God has to implant in the heart of a person, right? (laughs) They could not get beyond the fact that he's just this guy that we know. As remarkable as he might be, whatever we just think we just saw, he's just a person. How could it be? He's Joseph's son. How can you say you came out of heaven and you're the bread that feeds the world? Jesus said, well, look, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws it." The word there really is drags, which you may know. But it's not drags like against the will. Right? He brings you with your will being changed. He overwhelms your will. You say, well, don't people, you know, uh, are you saying people don't resist Jesus? I say everybody resists God. Everybody resists. That's the human nature, right? But he overwhelms the resistance, and that's how he draws us. And the way he does it, the way the Father does it is he, the way it's written here is he teaches them. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. This is Jesus saying this. They shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So what is he saying here? Well, he's not saying that people are converted without the gospel. That's a, something clear from all of the scripture But he's saying that as the gospel is heard, the person that is being drawn by the Father is the one who can come to Christ, right? So whereas it is the natural sinful propensity of every human to reject Jesus Christ, to disbelieve in Christ, and to prefer their own way, that is overwhelmed. They cannot. He's, he uses a, an ability word here. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws it. It can't happen unless th- there has to be this supernatural work going on on the ground. Uh, you know, you know when, when this is actually going on, it has to be supernatural. No one can do that unless the Father sent me, draws him. And the way he does that is he teaches them because the prophets have said, Jesus said, everyone who's taught of God comes to me. So notice those two words, verse 44, no one can come. And then in verse 45, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. No one can come, but everyone who learns from the Father can come to me. So as the gospel is heard, like even tonight, as the gospel is heard, some people are being taught by the Father. Some people are hearing God. Right? It's that same thing we've been talking about, that revelatory work of God. We've talked about it in the sight way, but here is the hearing way. Right? Everyone who's taught by the Father. That means as I'm teaching the gospel, or as your friend or as teaches the gospel, or as you read the gospel, Or as you reflect on the gospel, God is at work in that. God the Father is at work in that to draw you to the Son. That's the supernatural work that has to take place for a person to really believe in Jesus Christ. God is speaking. So grace is uh, such a huge thing. Grace begins in eternity past in the heart of God, the Father. Right. God gives to the Son. When you're born, you come along all these years later. Christ, Christ comes to earth for His own. He dies. He's resurrected. Then you come along. And you come to Him. He uses the Holy Spirit to do that. He draws you to Himself. He teaches you himself so that you can respond to jesus christ and then his own people believe and will be raised up in the last time so how big is grace if you talk about the plan of salvation how, how big is that is that is it that little slice there where you believe and then you, you is that the plan of salvation no the plan of salvation is what happens in eternity past all the way to eternity future. And there's something so precious here, brothers and sisters. Think about it. That's you he's talking about. I remember at times just weeping about that idea, thinking that it's me. He could, From the cross, he could have called my name. You know, he, he came for me. He gave I, I There's nothing in me that says I would deserve that. Nothing in me. I can't even imagine why I would be privileged to have that, or you would be privileged to have it. Why is it out of all of mankind that God has given you this amazing gift? That's grace. If grace was because you were cool or smart enough, it wouldn't be grace. It would be something you deserved. You get that? So let's talk about grace the way it really is. there's no hope for you apart from Jesus Christ, right? (laughs) He has done everything necessary for your salvation. And yes, you do believe. And yes, when we evangelize, we tell people to believe. Let me tell you, I'm not worried about anybody who's not chosen by God really savingly believing. God will get his own. I'll preach the gospel. I'll share with everyone uh, that I can, and God will bring in his own people in his own way, and in his own timing, by the way, as well. So this is this is not a, a, this is not Jim Eliff coming up with something to say here. I think I have been. Would you agree that I've been absolutely true to this text of Scripture? I don't think I've missed really what it said at all. I think it's, this is just what Jesus says. So you may say, I think I'll get to God without all of this kind of stuff about God. If you, well, uh, you know, do as you please. If you can get to God uh, without this knowledge, I would say that you, a lot of people have gotten, been believers in Christ without this knowledge, frankly, right? There have been a lot of people. No doubt, if you do believe these things that Jesus said, you did not always believe them. You may not have even heard them uh, before. Understand what I'm saying? God is letting us in. He's pulling back the curtain and letting us in on what's happening behind the scenes here. All you knew was to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, okay, get to God that way. That's great. But I still believe in what Jesus said here. And you will have time now that you are a believer if you have truly believed in Jesus Christ, truly rested your case on Christ, you will have time to figure out and see these things and think them through. But when you do, and you understand, and the lights come on, as at least I would say that was my experience, the lights come on as I read the scripture and see what God is saying here. The salvation that you have is 10,000 times more amazing to you than what you thought about before. back.